Thank you for listening to First Baptist Church of Conway. It's our prayer that this message is both an encouragement and a challenge to you as you grow in faith. As we all move forward in light of COVID-19, we want to encourage you to make a priority of joining us in person for worship. Because as you know, listening to a podcast can never replace the need we all have for fellowship and corporate worship. So we look forward to seeing you soon. In the meantime, here is this week's message. So this past week, uh, Troy, my oldest, actually all of them, but Troy, my oldest specifically, he had another another baseball game, and Troy usually plays third base, but mostly shortstop, and he's been playing since he was four years old, and and this past Monday, they placed Troy in the outfield, and there's nothing wrong with playing in the outfield, but they kept him in the outfield the entire game, and usually the kids who play outfield, for those of you who aren't obsessed with baseball parents who just live their life around it when it's baseball season. Those of you who do that know that a lot of the times the kids who play the outfield all game are the kids who can't handle the ball very well. There's nothing wrong with that. It's just the way it it is. And they kept him out there the whole game and he was frustrated. And listen, I said I was never going to be one of those parents. I lied. I am. And it just happens. And I was frustrated. We were both frustrating. You know, like, what, why, why is he playing out there the whole time? I and mean, why, aren't, why aren't they bringing him in? Like, he's usually playing the infield part. And the only thing I could figure, I said, well, it's because he's not coming to the Saturday practices. You see, Saturday's our family day. I protect it. It's the only day all of us are together and nobody has something else to do. So we're not going out all day Saturday and doing and practice. We'll do it as a family, but we're not going there. And I said, so it seems like they're penalizing him at nine years old because of my schedule. And so the question came up is, well, should he even play the next game? I never said we had a good attitude about it, okay? Don't act like you've never had a bad attitude about something. <laughs> So we just said, should, should he even play the next game? I mean, if they're not going to really use him, if he's not going to get to really use the skill, why, why even play? So I said, Troy, how about this? I said, why don't you pray about it? I said, why don't you pray about it? I know, it's one of those great dad moments. I'm like pretty impressed about that. I said, why don't you pray about it and see what the Lord tells you to do? See if you should go to the next game or not. He said, okay. He said, but what if the Lord doesn't answer me? I said, well, he will, buddy. He does every time. I promise you, you'll get an answer. So he said, okay, so Monday night, went to bed. I know he does his prayers at night, and he prayed. And Tuesday morning, got up, and I said, so buddy, what the Lord said? He said, I, I didn't hear anything. I said, all right, that's okay. He said, keep praying about it. Your next game's not till Thursday. It's okay. So that night, we went to Daniela's game. Tuesday evening, went to Daniela's game, and lo and behold, one of Troy's coaches was there. And me and Troy were throwing the ball and watching Daniela's game, and I looked, I said, Troy, I said, do you want to go talk to your coach? you want to go ask him why you didn't play? And he looked at me like a deer in the headlights, like, no. <laughs> I said, son, I'll go with you. I said, why don't you just go up there and ask him? He said, okay. And so at nine years old, I'm pretty proud about that. He went up to his coach and said, coach, he said, why didn't, why didn't I play? You know, was, did I do something wrong? I mean, why, why'd you take me out of position? His coach said, and, and he said, you know, did I do something wrong? Coach said, no, 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 buddy. He said, the kids on that team were huge and all we heard about was how well they could hit. He said, so what we needed, we need somebody with speed and who could throw the ball to play out there to protect us just in case it went out there. And he understood what that meant. I understood what that meant. So our bad feelings got changed really quick when we realized that he needed Troy. They appreciated his abilities and his skills. And so they put him in the outfield, which changed everything. We realized it wasn't a punishment. And and I talked to Troy about that. And he said, he said, wow, dad. God answered my prayers by me asking my coach. 
And I said, you're right, buddy. I said, because one of the things Jesus tells us to do is if you have something in your heart against somebody or you think somebody's wronged you, you're supposed to go and talk to them about it. And I told him this. I said, buddy, look, God answered your prayers by you doing what he asked you to do. It works every time. God answered your prayer by not sitting idle, not sitting back, not doing anything, but God answered your prayer by you doing what he asked you to do because he says, go to someone if they've offended you or wronged you. And so Troy did that. And it's one of these things we see in scripture and we don't understand how it works, but we see God's sovereignty, him being in control, him being all powerful, but yet we see our responsibility right next to it. And that somehow God works through his sovereignty and human responsibility. When you put those things together, we see God doing some amazing things. Things and it works every single time. And I bring that up because what we're going to talk about today is the exact same thing for us. When we do what he asks us to do, it will work every single time. And today I'm specifically talking to church people, whether you grew up in the church or you just started coming to church. If you're a follower of Jesus and you're trying to figure out this whole church thing and what it means and what it does, and you're so happy to be back today, I'm specifically talking to you. I'm going to talk about the church because here's one thing I know about churches and you probably know this too. Every church in the world wants this. In fact, every organization in the world wants this. Every church wants to grow. Every church wants to grow numerically with people and every uh, church wants to grow spiritually. We wanna reach more people with the gospel of Jesus Christ and we wanna teach them how to follow him. I mean, every church, this isn't a secret, every church wants to grow. In fact, churches pray about it, leaders talk about it and everybody knows when a church isn't growing, don't they? You can feel it when a church is on the decline, when it feels like the church is losing, where they're losing people and membership. I mean, they feel it and talk and they say, no, 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 we we want our church to grow. We wanna make an impact. We wanna Do something. I mean, all humans want to be a part of something that's growing, not dying. All of us. And it's rather simple how a church grows. I mean, it's so simplistic. It's so basic. I didn't say it was easy, but it's so simple. It's very, very simple. Here's the key. Here's what you have to do. Look, ready? You have to tell people about Jesus, and you have to invite them to church. I know. You mean, hold on, hold on, wait. Yeah, no, like, it, it's that simple. You tell people about Jesus, and you invite people to church. That's it. That's how churches grow. It's, they've always grown that way. It's always started that way, and it will work every single time. Every time. The problem is people want their churches to grow and do nothing Just like we want to save a bunch of money in the bank, but we really want to spend it, right? We don't want to save. We just want that to happen. We want to lose a lot of weight, but we don't want to do anything about it, right? We want this mysterious somehow this thing to happen without us doing anything about it, but that's not the way it works. We have a responsibility. We share our faith. We invite people to church and a church will grow and other people will get to know God, but studies show most Christians never share their faith and rarely invite people out to church. But see, as Christians, we're called to be little Christ. Did you know that that's what Christian means? It means little Christ. As Christians, we are saying we want to be like Jesus. We want to act like Jesus. I mean, look what John says. John, 1 John 2, 6 says this. Right here. Yes, it says, whoever claims to live in him must live as we are to live like Jesus. You've probably heard this before. 
But have you ever, ever wondered what Jesus said about his own life, what Jesus said his own mission was, why he came, what he was doing? He's pretty clear. Look at what he says in Luke 4, 44, 43. It says, but he said, I must proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns also, because that is why I was sent. You see, he went to this town and they wanted to keep him for himself. He was doing so many miracles. They said, we just want him to stay. We want him to hang out with us. And she said, no, no, I got to go to other towns. I got to continue pr proclaiming the good news or preaching the gospel because that's why I was sent. Look what else he says in Luke 19.10. He says this. He said, for the son of man came to seek, which means go active, go be, not look for, and save the lost. If we're to be little Christians, then we should preach the gospel to towns, at least our town. We should tell people about Jesus and we should look for people to share our faith with. I mean, he intentionally around, I mean, he intentionally did this with his disciples. He intentionally reached people. Look what he says in a great prayer before the cross, John 17. He says this to the father. He says, as you sent me into the world, I have sent them. Did Jesus come to us? Did he wait until we did something really perfect and really good, then all of a sudden? No, no, Jesus came in our sin. Jesus came to rescue us. Jesus was sent, and so now he sends, he sent his disciples into the world just like him on a mission to reach people. In fact, we call this the Great Commission. You've heard this. Matthew 28 says, therefore, stay in your seat and watch TV. I wish that was a biblical command. I would get that so perfect. No, he says, therefore go, or as you go, as you're living life, as you're working, as you're in the ball field, which is convicting, as you're out in the world, go and make disciples of all nations. We're to be sent, we're to make disciples. That's what we are to be, to be on a mission to reach people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. We are to live what's called sent lives. Meaning we understand that Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, has sent us into the world to reach people for him. And I know the number one concern is like, but Brian, I'm not an expert. That's okay. You don't have to be an expert. Just like you don't have to be an expert to tell someone about the really good meal you had at a restaurant. You had a really good meal. You say, man, you should check out this restaurant. It's so good. It was so amazing. You're not worried about them saying, well, what ingredients were in there? And how exactly was it cooked? You wouldn't be able to answer that. Like, I don't know. Why don't you go try it for yourself? Hey, you should, I mean, Jesus, he really changed my life. Well, hold on, tell me about this. I don't know. Why don't you go try it for yourself? Why don't you go talk to somebody who knows? I don't know all the answers. I'm just telling you, this is what helped me. This is what changed my lives. So we're talking about sharing the gospel. We're not talking about being a Bible teacher. We're talking about sharing our stories, sharing what Christ has done in our lives talk more about that next week. But we can all invite people to check out the local church. We can invite them to speak with a pastor or somebody who may know a little bit more. Because according to Jesus, our churches testify to who he is. Did you know that? According to Jesus, our churches are supposed to testify at who he is. And this message has turned into a two-part message. It was supposed to be a one-part message, but I changed, okay? It happens. Instead of us sitting here for an hour and a half, you're welcome. 
I've split it into two parts. So we're gonna look at today our corporate evangelism strategy. And what this means is, as a church, we're supposed to share the gospel individually. I hope you understand that. We'll talk again next week. But as a church, Jesus actually gave us a corporate evangelism strategy. And if we do this, it will work, guaranteed 100%. There is a strategy. Jesus says, this is the way my church reaches people for him. He said, Brian, well, hold on, hold on. Is it a super cool hit pastor? No, which is good, right? Is it an awesome trendy light show? Nope. Amazing music? No. The organ, that has to be it. No. VBS, Easter egg hunts? No. None of those are Jesus's evangelism strategy. See, again, the same prayer he prayed before he went to the cross, he tells us what it is. Look at this, it's John 17, 20. He says this, he said, my prayer is not for them alone. He was praying for himself, he prayed for his disciples. So he's saying, my prayer is not just for them, meaning the disciples. I also pray for those who will believe in me through their message. Who's that? Us. Expectation was he was gonna, they were gonna preach, they were gonna teach, they were gonna share the gospel and other people would come to faith. So he's praying for us. Are you ready? He says it, here it goes. My prayer is not for them alone. Next slide. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray for also for those who will believe in me through their message that all of them may be one. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. Unity is Jesus' corporate evangelism strategy. Our unity as a body of believers is how people will come to believe in Jesus Christ. Why? Well, because the world is a messed up, backstabbing place. It just is. Every environment. The church is supposed to be different. The unity in the church will cause people to believe in Jesus Christ. You see, when we understand that, that's why this, this, we see how serious Paul takes this, the Apostle Paul. Look at what he says in Titus 3.10. He says, warn a divisive person once and then warn them a second time. What's a divisive person? Someone who's trying to cause division, stir in the pot. You ever met someone like that? Don't elbow your husband, okay? Warn them a second time. After that, have nothing to do with them. Well, that's, that's mean. No, no, no. Paul understands that the unity in the church is the evangelism strategy, that that's what's at stake. The divisive church will not reach people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. A church that's complaining and a church that's fighting and a church that has a lot of that going on will not reach people with the gospel. So Paul's like, listen, if someone's causing that, the gospel's at stake. Jesus's mission is at stake. That's no. No, that Jesus' mission is greater than anything else. What Jesus has asked the church to do is greater. People's souls are greater than the vision. So, I mean, Paul took it pretty 
serious. And when you get that the unity is the evangelism strategy, we realize why they took it so serious. You see, we can put all the programs in the world. We can do all, and we can do VBS, trunk or treats. We can have lasers and lights and smoke machines. That'd be kind of cool. What do you think, Mackenzie? Can we get, what do you think? No, no lasers, all right. Mackenzie says no, I agree with him. None of that will matter. People are complaining and fussing, especially about our pastors. It's not gonna help the church. You see, unity will draw people in. Unity will surprise people because people are looking for unity. They want it in their marriages. They want it in their companies. I mean, we all crave harmony and getting along. But the world doesn't seem to work that way. People are fighting and bickering, so there needs to be a place. And Jesus' vision, I mean, this is Jesus now. Jesus' vision for the local church is to be unified. A local church should carry out that vision to be unified. Jesus died for that vision and saved us for that vision and called us together for those purposes to join us on his mission of reaching people for him. And this begs the question, well, well what do we become unified about? What do, what, do we, what do we become unified around? Well, of course, Jesus. I mean, we, we, that's, that's a given, right? We're unified around who Jesus is, and we got to be unified about what we believe. I mean, that's pretty clear. But many churches, they try to be unified around, well, preferences. And it won't work. We try to be unified around, well, the music we like, or the pastor we like, or the building, right? We can be unified around the building. Or, or maybe we can be unified about our friends. We try to be unified around those things, but it will not work because they come and go. You know this, music changes, pastors change, buildings need to be renovated and painting, and friends move. If we're unified around preferences, we're gonna come into a reality of once those go, then we get upset and we get disgruntled. Like, and if someone wants to move a decoration, we can cause problems in a church. You ever heard of that? Y'all are Baptist, of course you have. And when pastors leave, What happens? Exodus, right? That was my where We can't be unified around preferences. There's never supposed to be a uniting factor, and I'll get to that in a minute. But rather, what we're unified around is our mission. We're unified around reaching people for Jesus Christ. We're unified about helping people mature in their faith. And see, maturity isn't this grand vision of having a long beard and sitting Indian style and people come to you and ask you questions. No, maturity in the Christian context is being able to raise up other people in the faith and then they go out and raise up other people in the faith. Maturity is about discipleship, about helping other people grow, being producers. You see, the way we reach people for Christ collectively is through unity. What we are unified around is reaching people for Christ individually. That's, that's about the only thing we can, that we agree. This is important. This is what we're doing. The way we reach people for Christ collectively together is unity. That's what Jesus said. And what we're unified around is that each and every one of us are going out to reach more people for Jesus Christ. You see, from the beginning, the church has had to deal with this. From the beginning, the church has to deal with embracing new people. And it's not easy because every culture and every generation has their own preferences. And all organizations naturally focus on the insiders rather than the outsider. Let's just be honest. Let's make sure the people who are given the money are happy. 
because we don't want to offend them. When that's not the mission of the church, the mission of the church isn't to make sure it survives and people are happy. I mean, how sad would that be if that's what we were giving our lives to? Just making sure something survives. No, we're giving our lives to something to thrive. We're giving our lives the, the same thing Jesus gave his life for, to reach people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. In fact, one of the largest problems in the New Testament is how can Jews get along with Gentiles? How can two cultures come together? Because they were so different. Their music was different. Their background was different. Their language was different. I mean, everything was different. In fact, do you remember Paul was fussing at Peter for this? In Galatians, he was, he was fussing him for pulling away from the Gentiles when his friends would come around. I mean, how to get along and how to come together is one of the central focuses of the New Testament. In fact, Paul writes over and over again, guys, stop fighting about silly stuff. Stop. It was such a big deal that the early church called a council together. Jerusalem Council, it's in your Bible, you should check it out. All of them come together, the leaders, I mean, Peter, Paul, James, the brother of Jesus. Whew, I mean, you're talking about name, those are name, I name dropped. If you didn't know, I just name dropped. These are the players of the faith all come together to discuss this topic because the Jews said, well, the Gentiles need to be like us. They need to do the things we need to do in order, they, they have to act like us. I mean, this is a Jewish thing, right? I mean, Christianity is Jewish. It came from a Jewish place. So all these Gentiles need to be just like us in order to join us. Sound familiar? To the point of Gentiles said, actually, I mean, Jews said, actually, they even need to be circumcised. If they're not circumcised, they're not even saved. Imagine that altar call. It changes the whole name and whole reason of altar call, right? Imagine that. Come up and be saved and be circumcised at the same time. Then, then you got it. I mean, they were putting these extra requirements on people. But look what James said. James said, look, I got it. A lot of conversation going on. They work through it. He says this. It is my judgment, therefore, that we should not make it difficult. We should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to Christ. Let's read this again. What has James said? 1519. It is my judgment, therefore, that we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. This is in your Bible. He says we shouldn't put extra expectations on people. We should not do that. The Bible never says that our job is to make sure people are happy and satisfied. But rather, Jesus says, if you are a follower of me, you should deny yourself and take up the cross. Do you remember that? That's what Christians are called to do. We should be aware of our preferences and not try to throw those on people who are different. Because if we agree that our mission is to reach people for Christ collectively because we are individually reaching people for Christ, then we're aware of our preferences, we're aware of what we like, and we watch out for other people. We don't make it difficult for people who are different than us. That doesn't mean we throw out biblical mandates. No, 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 not at all. I mean, we're gonna do communion. Is it weird? Yes. Baptism, kind of strange. We don't throw those out because Jesus said, we have to do these things. This is what we do as a church. So we don't throw out the commands. But cultural preferences, we don't push those on people. Living as Christians is rather difficult. There's no sense of making it even harder. So James says, well, don't make it difficult for people who are turning to Christ. 
Paul applies it this way in Romans 14.1. He says this. He said, accept the one in the faith, accept the one whose faith is weak, newer, newer, weak, without, I didn't make this up. This is actually in the Bible. This is good stuff. Without quarreling over disputable matters. Accept one who's, someone who's different, someone who's weaker in the faith, accept where they're at over disputable th- things that don't really matter, accept where they're at and don't worry about those. So it's the responsibility of the stronger or more mature person to look out for the one who's weaker or newer. It's not that I've been here longer or I'm more mature so you bow to me. No, Jesus didn't ask anybody to bow to him, he died for them. Follow his example. If you're mature, it's not about you, it's about them. As our savior, it wasn't about him, it was about us, so he died, do you understand? You give up for the benefits of other people. The more mature person looks out for the more immature person. And you know this, grandparents, you do this automatically, you do this for the ones you love. I mean, how many grandparents do the things they absolutely do not wanna do, but somehow still want to do them for the benefit of their grandkids. Parents don't do this. Grandparents do. They have absolutely no, Jessica's grandparents, I'll never forget this, it was in August in Tampa Bay. Anybody ever been to Tampa Bay in August? It's like 7,000 degrees, I'm pretty sure. It's what it reads, 7,000 degrees. Well, Jessica's grandparents wanted to take us to Bush Gardens. They're in their 90s. They took us to Bush Gardens. I thought her grandma was gonna pass out three times walking around in the middle of summer at 90 degrees. She, didn't, she wasn't gonna stop because her grandbaby was there. Because her grandbaby was there, she was gonna make it through Bush Gardens. She even rode roller coasters. I'm lying about that last part. She didn't ride roller coasters. <laughs> that would have been crazy, right? She didn't, she didn't do that. She didn't do that. But we are told the more mature Christian, the one stronger in the faith, should look out for the one who's weaker. Paul goes on, he says this in Romans 14, 13. He said, therefore, let us stop passing judgment. We should just memorize that one right there. Memorize it. Pass judgment on one another. Instead, make up your mind. I mean, it's a decision. I'm gonna change the way I think. I'm gonna do something differently. Let me make up your mind not to put any stumbling block or obstacle in the way of another brother and sister. We don't need to put more things on them or harder things on on them. We have to make an internal choice that I know this is culture. I know this doesn't matter. I know this is just a thing I like. I'm not going to put that on somebody else. So what does that look like? Well, you got to be circumcised. You got to wear a suit. You got to listen to hymns. You got to listen to this certain Christian hip hop. That's extra. That's more than Jesus. We don't need to put an obstacle in a way that might be culturally hard, culturally different. We don't put that on somebody. And the reason why the Bible talks about this stuff is because this is the type of thing that people naturally want to do. And it's simple. We like the things we like and we want other people to like them too. Right? I mean, it's basic. I like this, so you should like this. And if you don't like this, that means you don't like me. That's how we feel. It's not true. But that's how, what we assume. Well, if you don't like what I like, you don't like my preferences and you don't really like me. And I don't like that you don't like me. So you need to like the things I like so then we can get along. It's just not how it works. We're just different and it's okay. And these things actually matter. They shouldn't, but they matter to the weaker person. The more mature person needs to be aware of this. For instance, a few 
weeks ago now, I was at a store I frequently go to, and I know the staff pretty well. I was talking to one of them, and I was inviting him out to church, and he knows that I'm the pastor there, and inviting him to come out, and he looked at me. He said, well, he said, y'all, he said, y'all, oh, that's what he said. He said, first up, he said, do y'all have that contemporary Christian music? I said, not really. I said, not really? Because if, if you, contemporary Christian music now is the lights and the shows. I mean, we're not even close. Some of y'all think we are. We're not even close. When they said, y'all have, I said, no. I said, we have newer songs. I said, our church likes to do some newer songs and older songs. I said, but we're, we're not trying to like be cool or anything. We're just trying to be authentic. I said, there's a difference. So that's not where we're at. He's like, oh, okay. He said, well, and he liked that. He said he likes both. I, was, I said, okay. He said, well, I said, can I wear jeans? And I looked at him. I said, I do. He said, they let you wear jeans at First Baptist Church of Conway? I said, well, I didn't ask. Why, why, why would I ask? Who asked something like that? And one of the other, I'm not making the story, one of the other people said, oh, well, at my church, and the guy stopped me, he said, no, no, you don't understand. He said, that's old Conway who goes there. I said, I, I don't know what that means, but from what I gathered is old Conway, whatever that means, doesn't like people who wear jeans. No, but he felt that, and that was the reputation of this church. In our community, by someone who grew up and lived here his entire life, he said, well, no, that's, I can't, I can't wear, I'm going who cares? He thought the church did. That's why this matters, because of genes. In his mind, our church has put a stumbling block over dress that says you're not welcome unless you look like us, unless you can afford what we can afford. But Paul says in Romans 15:1, he says, we who are strong ought to bear with the fallings of the weak, not to please ourselves, so the people who are weaker in the faith, they might not dress the same way, they might not understand the same things, but we bear with them, we help them, we don't dismiss them, we don't judge them, we recognize they're weaker, they're newer, that's okay. We bear with them, not to please ourselves, meaning it's really at the end of the day we're just mad at because we're not getting what we want. But he said, we shouldn't worry about ourselves, each of us should please our neighbor for their good, to build them up. Paul says, listen, you're focused on the wrong things. You're focused on you and you're mature and you're saved and you're good. And No, what about them? What about their preferences and their desires and, and their stumbling blocks? I mean, aren't you worried about building them up? I mean, do things for their good, not for your good. Again, we've talked about this. Jesus didn't need to go to the cross for himself. He was good. He went to the cross for us. And that type of sacrificial love is what Paul is asking the church to extend, to look out for them. So when we put this together, we as a church, we're to reach people for Christ. And as a church, unity, our unity will put on display who Jesus is. And then we are unified that we, we are unified that we individually are reaching people for Christ. And then the more mature people look out for the ones who are newer and weaker in the faith. Rather than doing things to please ourselves, we do things to benefit them. And when you do this, amazing things happen. I mean, think about it. You've seen and you've heard some of the newer churches that are just exploding and they're huge and sure they're contemporary and all that kind of stuff. And they say, well, it's just young people. 
Come on. We really think young people can afford all that? No, what you're amazed about is somebody else is funding a church for other people. That's amazing. That people are willing to fund something and put others and a new generation first. That's amazing. Because reaching uh, the next generation was assumed for Jewish people. Every generation is going to have to deal with how to reach the next generation. All of us. How do we reach them? They're different. They listen to weird music. Their hairstyles. Thank goodness I finally got my boys to cut their hair. It was driving me crazy. I deal with this too, but... We all have to figure out how do we reach the next generation. But it was assumed for Jews. Look at this. Look what Deuteronomy says. Deuteronomy 6. Hear, O Israel, love the Lord our God. The Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. You know this. These commands I give you today are to be on your hearts. He's not done. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. The idea is that every generation should be impressing and teaching the next generation. And if we as a church or any church wants to want the next generation to partner with you, you need to look out for them and build them up because every generation's different. And there's some things we stand on. The Bible, who Jesus is, absolutely, unequivocally, you stand on those things. But other things, you realize that they're just different. And you're here to build them up, not hurt them. And so you do it in a way that they can understand. And if you don't do that, well, don't be surprised when they go to the church down the road. Just own it. We built this for us, not for them. And they can just go down there because it happens and you've seen it and you know about it. I mean, churches are talking about all over the place. It's, it's simple. We've created a church that they don't want to come to. And so they don't. Just remember, our world is changing at a rapid pace. Because of the internet and technology, I mean, you know this, it's super confusing. And, and for many of you, when you grew up, life was simpler. Life was a little easier. I mean, it wasn't as complicated. I mean, you, you hear about what they're talking about today. I mean, you know how confusing it is to be a kid? I mean, imagine growing up in that environment. What you think is confusing is what they're growing up in. It's what they're dealing with every single day. This is life to them. And so people are, are searching for answers. And as a church, we believe Jesus is the answer. I mean, to anything. I can, anything you're dealing with, I can point you to Jesus. I guarantee. When a church seems out of touch... When it seems like they're stuck in a different era, it communicates to these people that the church can't help them. I think about it this way. How many of you go to the Amish for life advice? How many of you go like, look, I'm trying to work on work-life balance? Any of you? Yeah, the Amish, they've, they've intentionally put themselves so far removed from what's going on. And sure, we like some of the things they do. They're rocking chairs. They're awesome. Who can beat them? Nobody. But you don't go and ask them how to parent. You don't ask them how to do work-life balance. You don't ask them for those things because they're so out of touch. And when a church, well, when they, when they seem like they're in a different era, people are going to go, well, they're out of touch. They, they can't help. Well, of course you can. We don't want to communicate those type of things. And listen, I'm not advocating to be cool. I am not a cool person. I never have been. But what we have to remember is that we do send messages with everything we do. And if we're so out of touch with reality, we're sending a message to them, we couldn't possibly help you. A friend of mine, true story, a pastor who pastored his church 
came back. He pastored there for 40 years. And he came back to this church this past week and he looked at him. He said, well, he said, if the 1950s come back, we'll be ready. The pastor who was there for 40 years was embarrassed. They hadn't done anything different. So guys, what are y'all living in? You've, you've frozen in an era that doesn't even exist. But Jesus, he transcends culture. You see, according to Jesus, our corporate meetings, our corporate gatherings, is a strategy through unity, not through new programs. We have to be unified around our mission to reach people for Christ. And the church, the early church, has already dealt with how do you deal with the new people and the new generations and the people that are different? How, how do you deal with this then? You look out for their benefit. You put them above you, just like we saw Jesus do. They've already answered these questions, and it really is that simple. But it's not easy. Because it takes an extreme mature person to fund something that isn't about them. Isn't, isn't it? It's hard. How can I fund and keep this going? Because one of the first things, and you know this, people say, well, I'm not giving to that church anymore. I don't like... And again, I can talk about this because, you know, this church is generous and the budget's good. Look, I'm not trying to raise money, by the way, but it's just a human thing. It, it takes an incredible amount of maturity to say, you know what? I want to fund this for the next generation, the next people. We want to make sure that they know Jesus Christ and we want to build them up. It's counterintuitive. It doesn't make any sense, but that's what the church is. And I'll end with this quote that, I think every pastor quotes this guy at least once a year, way smarter than me. Here's what he says. C.S. Lewis says, the church exists for nothing else but to draw men into Christ and to make them little Christs. If they are not doing that, then all the cathedrals, buildings, the clergy, pastors, missions, sermons, even the Bible itself are simply a waste of time. Read that a couple times. It's gut-wrenching. Because most of the time, the things that churches are doing are simply a waste of time. We're just wasting people's time. But this is why the church exists. To draw people to Christ and make them little Christians. When we are so focused on insiders and how they feel, worried about their preferences... We are literally communicating that that is more important than people who are dying and going to hell because they don't know Jesus. And it should be gut-wrenching and it should be heartbreaking. We are here as a church to be united around Jesus Christ and his mission to then reach people for Jesus and help them become Christians, disciples, who then will continue the pattern. You see, God, he'll answer our prayers when we do what he's asked us to do. Every single time. And when we're intentional about unity, when we're intentional about reaching people for Christ, we will see the manifold wisdom of God display. That's what Paul says in Ephesians chapter 3. Check it out. We will be on display for the whole world to see. What is that? That's so different. What's going on there? Next week, we're going to talk about our individual responsibility to share our faith and how the church then, this united body of believers, partners with you individually when you're trying to share the faith and how it all works together to have an amazing, amazing ministry opportunity.
So how can you serve in this? Well, to work with me to send a message that we are a unified body of believers who exist so outsiders can come and experience true life in Jesus Christ, the Messiah. Because that's why we're here. And that's what we're supposed to do. Will you pray with me? Gracious Heavenly Father, we come to you in the name of Jesus and we thank you so much that we can call you our Father. We thank you so much that you died, that you saved us, you died for our sins and you paid the penalty for our sins, Lord, and we can come to you together as a family and say thank you. Lord, we do pray for the unity of our church. We know that's your evangelism strategy, that that's the way we're gonna reach this community. Our primary way is through unity, being unified around you and unified around our mission. Father, we thank you so much that we know you. Help us see where we need to become unified, individually, corporately. Help us see how, help us see how we can bring more people to you, how we can speak about you, how we can share stories about our faith. You came to seek and save. So, Father, help us get a vision and clearly see that we too can seek and point them to the one who can save. Father, we thank you so much. In the precious name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.